Hey, this is John Ridley. And this is Matt Carey, documentary editor at Deadline. And welcome to Talk Talk. John, we've got a hard-hitting episode today. A lot of controversy. Well, maybe we should put the word controversy in quotes in the documentary field about the nominees for Best Documentary Feature. We're going to get into that with some amazing panelists. You get a shot, but the individuals behind every one of those images, they're complicated and they are human. This has been Doc Talk. Thank you. Great conversation. An epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance... Stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. There's plenty to celebrate in March, and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. America's two great pastimes collide on this podcast. It is baseball and making money from the dog days of summer through the October Classic. Greg Faces Peterson's going to be free swinging at the betting board as he tries to hit a grand slam for your bankroll. Now here is GP. Topical Thursday and one and all. Welcome into the Vivid Seat Studios from OB Overtime Betting. Greg Peterson coming at you with another great podcast. And joining me today for the first time this year, but has joined me a couple times on a variety of different podcasts because this man handicaps a little bit of everything. Wes Reynolds of the Vegas Sets and Information Network. You can catch him on the Green Zone throughout the week. He does tremendous work out there with the gentleman and I wind up producing a lot of his shows as well, so I get to see up close and in person just the incredible work that he does. So it's going to be fun to break down today's slate, even though, well, a lot of games are off the board, so it's going to turn into a lot of generic playoff talk. And in the final segment, as per usual, even though a lot of these games are off the board, I will be giving you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board and something I like to call touch them all. First things first. We did get a question into the Twitter mailbag. As always, tweet those into the timeline at GNRSquare D1. Do not tweet those into the DMs. The DMs are a place that is absolutely unreachable. You call it, you get no service, and it's one of those situations where you're just going to want to hang up. So it is a spot where you do want to be tweeting into the timeline because you're going to get answers just like this question. So you have questions, and Greg may or may not have any insight into them, but let's dive into the Twitter mailbag. Matty Boy at MattyBoy518 S at GNRSquare D1. Would you say this is the hardest time of year to bet baseball? 
versus, say, the first month, question mark, near slash after the All-Star break. This is by far the hardest time of the year for me to handicap baseball. I don't know why, but the last few years, September has been my absolute worst month in baseball. My best time of the year, I would say, is actually the postseason. Last year, I was absolutely nails in the postseason. That time just after the All-Star break as well, there seems to be a lot of consistency, so... That's also nice. We've got teams that they're all trying very hard because they want to be able to be buyers at the trade deadline instead of sellers because it's a very critical time for all these teams, aside from like the Miami Marlins, which it makes it easy to handicap because the Miami Marlins know that they're going to be sellers. It's one of those spots where I feel like that's a good time to handicap, but September is brutal just because instead of having to handicap 25 players, you have to handicap 40. We saw it in the game a few days ago between the St. Louis Cardinals and the Arizona Diamondbacks. Game goes to 19 innings. There were more players in that game than there is typically on a roster. So that makes things just a big challenge. And then you just have some players that are being rested and everything like that. You have to really pay attention to what the managers are saying post-game in order to try to pick up on these sorts of things. And I'm also going to ask Wes Reynolds about this. So I'm just going to be giving you my preliminary thoughts. We're going to be picking this up in the second segment as well. But September has always just been the toughest month for me. And I think that that's a great question. I appreciate you tweeting that in, Maddie. Thank you very much. And now let's take a look back at yesterday's results, try to find some betting trends, and try to become better handicappers from it. So who's streaking and who is slumping? It is time for rakers and fakers. One of the most difficult things to handicap as well is how teams will perform after playing a long marathon game like the Arizona Diamondbacks and the St. Louis Cardinals did. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they were able to pull out a 9-7 win over the St. Louis Cardinals. The teams had a combined 18 hits, and they combined for 16 runs. That's a little bit bonkers. As for the St. Louis Cardinals, you saw a lot of, I guess you could call it lesser guys being able to get some run, and they got a little bit of an unexpected home run in this one. Randy Arozarena winds up getting a home run. That is his first of the campaign, and I think the first of his career as the St. Louis Cardinals go 3 of 12 with men in scoring position, and they just wound up completely unraveling late in this one as they give up a touchdown in the sixth inning to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Michael Waka did not perform the way that the team wanted him to as he delivered five outs of length for a bullpen that was badly taxed already, giving up two runs in the process. From there, the bullpen of the St. Louis Cardinals, which has had the second-best ERA out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break, they wind up having to go six and a third innings. They give up in the process a grand total of seven runs, six of which were earned. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, this was a team that was able to get one big home run. That was off the bat of Wilmer Flores. That is his ninth of the campaign. And for Wilmer Flores, that was a home run that was of the two-run variety as he added a couple RBI from there. And for the Arizona Diamondbacks, they wound up getting a lot more length out of Merrill Kelly, though. It's not like he was terrific in this one either. He entered into this start having given up three runs for the entire month of September. He gives up five runs over the course of six innings, but it saved a bullpen that was able to go three innings from there, giving up two runs in the process. So, needless to say, a very interesting result there. A very interesting result out in the city of Cincinnati as it sewed up a playoff berth for the Milwaukee Brewers. The Milwaukee Brewers put up six runs in the first inning. It was more than enough for their pitching as they get a 92 win. For the Brewers, Ryan Braun gets a grand slam off of Tyler Molly's 22nd home run of the year. Eric Thames adds his 24th of the year and the Brewers needed a hero and they got one in Keston here, his 19th home run of the campaign. And for Jordan Lyles, 
This is a guy that's allowed more than 200 runs in just one start ever since joining the Brewers. And he goes in this one, five innings, giving up approximately two runs. Bullpen from there, four scoreless innings. So they certainly did their job. And for the Cincinnati Reds, they were able to get a home run off the bat of Eugenio Suarez in the first inning. His 49th of the campaign continues to lead the league in regards to home runs. Since the All-Star break, but he's still a couple bad of Pete Alonzo for the league lead if you have a future ticket on that. But for Tyler Molly, this was about as bad as it gets for a start. He got seven outs, he gave up eight runs, and seven of those were earned for Tyler Molly. The team has lost, I believe now, 21 out of his last 27 starts, dating all the way back to the 2018 season. And then from there, the bullpen of the Cincinnati Reds, which has been in the bottom eight in the league with regards to ERA ever since the All-Star break. Actually did a pretty admirable job. Six and two-thirds innings. They give up one run in the process. So they certainly did their part, but they just got off to a really rough start. And there were a lot of open seats out there. And if you're looking to fill those, or if you're looking for a little bit of a better sporting event like the MLB playoffs, if you're looking for concert tickets, anything like that, you can head to the Vivid Seats at... And you can head to the Vivid Seats app, and when you type in the promo code OVERTIME, that's all one word, O-V-E-R-T-I-M-E, you're able to get up to $100 off of all tickets. This is for first-time users only, but type in the promo code OVERTIME, you get the tickets that you want to whatever event, and you get up to $100 off of all of them. That is Vivid Seats, the app. We also typically see open seats in Tampa Bay, though. The crowds are getting a little bit better because the Tampa Bay Rays are right now in a battle for a playoff spot, and they were able to help out that cause with a 4-0 to win over the New York Yankees. For the Yankees, Jonathan Luizaga was the opener in this one, and he didn't give the open that the team wanted. He gave up two runs over the course of an inning, and then from there, J-Hap. Actually, it did well as a bulk guy. Five innings, he gives up one run. Bullpen from there gives up an additional run over the course of two innings before the New York Yankees. What hit in this one? This for a New York Yankees team that has been playing right around 64% of their road games to the over. That is the highest mark out there in the big leagues for the Tampa Bay Rays. They got two home runs compared to the Yankees one hit. Avi Sale Garcia's 20th home run of the year and Joey Wendell his third. The team only went one of seven with men in scoring position, but Charlie Martin was absolutely rolling. Six innings pitch, gives up one hit, nine strikeouts. After his struggles in the month of August, it looks like he is back. And from there, the bullpen of the Tampa Bay Rays continues to be nails. No hits given up over the course of three innings in the Tampa Bay Rays. Right now, gain a little bit of momentum in that playoff chase, especially with the Cleveland Indians winding up falling to the Chicago White Sox by a count of 8-3. to three. Ross Stetweiler on the road has been a hot mess, ERA above a 7, but at home, a little bit more respectable, and I wouldn't call this a great start, but it certainly wasn't a bad one. Five innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. The White Sox bullpen from there handles the final four innings, giving up one hit and no earned runs in the process for the White Sox. They were able to get a pair of home runs in this one. Lloris Garcia, his eighth home run of the year. Wellington Castillo, his 11th of the team, was 4-14 with men in scoring position. Shane Bieber wound up having his worst start in quite a while for this team as well. Five and two-thirds innings, he gives up five runs, though only three of them were earned, but this is the first time they allowed five runs or more in a start since the All-Star break. So that was obviously an issue. The Cleveland Indians bullpen from there, which has a top ERA of any bullpen in the big leagues for the year. They wind up recording seven outs and they give up three runs, all of which were earned in the process. And for the Indians, you do have to be encouraged by this. Jose Ramirez, 23rd home run of the year. In two games back, he's got three home runs and... Eight RBI slides, obviously a good sign, but with that said, obviously the Cleveland Indians need to win these next couple games if they want to be in the running for the postseason. The Phillies are out of the postseason running, but the Washington Nationals, they are certainly wanting to get home field in that wildcard game against the Brewers, and they were able to get a 5-2 to win over the Philadelphia Phillies. 
For the Phillies, Drew Smiley did his job. Six and a third innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned by a Philadelphia Phillies bullpen that ever since the All-Star break has actually been pretty darn good. They wind up recording five outs, but in the process, they give up three runs, all of which were earned. And for the Phillies, they were able to get a home run off the bat of Brad Miller, his 10th of the campaign, but the team, by and large, just wasn't able to get men in scoring position. And for the Washington Nationals, pair of home runs for them. Brian Dozier, 20th dinger of the campaign. Howie Kendrick, boy, are they glad to have him back. His 17th as Anibal Sanchez was able to deal in this one as well. He was a little bit inconsistent in the month of August. Seems to be picking it up once again. Seven innings pitch, he gives up two earned runs bullpen from there, which included Sean doing very little for betters. Well, in this one, he did a whole lot as he struck out the side in the ninth inning as the bullpen did not allow a single earned run in two innings. A bullpen that is starting to unravel, though, and ironically enough, has the best ERA in the big leagues of any bullpen since the All-Star break. The Chicago Cubs, as it looks like they have completely punted on the season. They lose their eighth straight, falling to the Pittsburgh Pirates by a count of 4-2 for the Chicago Cubs. They wind up getting a home run off the bat of Ian Happ, his eighth of the campaign. That was their lone form of offense as John Lester actually gave an admirable performance. You don't know what you're going to get from him night to night, but he came out and he gave six innings, giving up two runs. So this certainly was not on him. Bullpen from there gives up two runs over the course of two innings. We saw them crater in big situations all year long. It happened once again for the Pittsburgh Pirates. They didn't have any home runs in this one, just two of five with men in scoring position, but it also did help them out that Dario Agrizal gave a very good start. He gave up that home run to Ian Happ. That was it. Six innings pitch. He gives up two runs. And a Pittsburgh Pirates team that has had the worst bullpen in the big leagues over the last three days. They go three scoreless innings as they have now won two in a row and for the Chicago Cubs. This is a team that on the road is 15 games below 500. It's been absolutely insane. It's also been absolutely insane to watch the Baltimore Orioles put up 107 losses as they lose the Toronto Blue Jays by a count of 3-2. to two. And you know what? Gabrielle, you know what took the loss in this one, but wasn't necessarily terrible. Four innings pitch, he does give up two solo home runs, but he just gave up two runs. Bullpen from there was good. Four innings pitch, they give up one run before the Baltimore Orioles. One of eight with Ben in scoring position. No home runs for them. And for the Toronto Blue Jays, a trio of solo home runs were the difference. Rowdy Telez goes deep for his 20th and 21st home run of the year. And Billy McKinney, his 12th as Jacob Wagespeck. A terrific start. Six innings pitch does not allow a single earned run. Bullpen from there winds up giving up two runs, but by and large, a very good performance there for the Toronto Blue Jays. A very good performance for the New York Mets as they just completely steamed the Miami Marlins by a count of 10-3. Robert Duggar, I was saying on this podcast, was doing for a regression. This is a man that I know that the PCL league has the juice ball and everything like that, but he had a 7-5 ERA out there. And in this one, he winds up getting just absolutely exploded upon. In two innings, he gives up seven runs, six of which were earned. Bullpen from there goes a grand total of six innings of giving up three runs. And for the Mets, it was a hit parade for them as Pete Alonso continues to lead the league in home runs. His 51st home run of the year. Team was 5 for 10 with Ben in scoring position and Jacob DeGrom trying to sew up that Cy Young award. He is certainly in the running for it. Seven innings pitch. Gives up two hits. No earned runs. Bullpen from there does wind up giving up three runs, but the runs that Drew Gagnon gave up were unearned due to a Todd Frazier error. This is a Mets team that continues to be in the top six of the big leagues in regards to bullpen ERA ever since the All-Star break. And for the Miami Marlins, they were able to get a Jorge Alfaro home run. It is 18th home run of the year. Really the only sign of life for this Miami Marlins team. You do have a whole bunch of signs of life with the Atlanta Braves though, as they are able to take down the Kansas City Royals by kind of 10 to 2. Josh Shomlin wound up being the three inning starter in this one. He gives up one run over the course of that. And then from there, the bullpen of the Atlanta Braves was absolutely terrific. They go six innings and they give up one earned run. This is a Braves bullpen that really struggled after the All-Star break. 
and after the trade deadline as well, but they have certainly found their way. They did wind up leaving 11 men on base, but they were able to go 5 of 12 with men in scoring position and no home runs over the course of their 10 runs, so they were certainly able to play some small ball. And for the Kansas City Rails, this is a team that actually got a decent start out of Mike Montgomery. Four and two-thirds innings. He gives up two runs, both of which were earned, but you never know what you're going to get out of the bullpen. And what you got out of the bullpen in this one, if you were rolling dice, was Snake Eyes. They wind up going a grand total of four and a third innings, giving up eight runs, all of which were earned. Needless to say, that was a little bit of an issue. What was a little bit of an issue was the Texas Rangers giving up a whole bunch of runs as well as the Boston Red Sox completely shellacked them by a count of 10-3. to For the Boston Red Sox, who had a trio of home runs, Rafael Devers, his 32nd of the year, Christian Vasquez is 23rd, Mitch Moreland is 19th. As for the Boston Red Sox, Rick Porcello has given up Three earned runs or fewer, and I believe now each of his last three starts. Six innings pitch, he gives up three runs, all of which were earned. Those all came in the first inning, and from there, the bullpen of the Boston Red Sox, which has been by and large one of the better ones out there in the big leagues ever since the beginning of the month of August. Three innings of no-run baseball, and for the Texas Rangers, this is a team that is just not generating a lot in general. Kobe Allard winds up taking his second loss. He had entered into this game having given up just two home runs over his... Seven plus starts. Goes three innings in this one, giving up five runs off, which weren't including a home run. Bullpen from there wasn't any better. They give up five runs over the course of six innings, and out of those six runs that they gave up, five of them were earned. And for the Texas Rangers, three of eight with men in scoring position, but once again, they just don't have a whole lot of power in the lineup due to all the injuries that they have suffered. A team that has also suffered quite a few injuries is the San Francisco Giants, but they were able to hold off the Colorado Rockies for a 2-1 to win. For the Rockies, this was a team that went 0-10 with men in scoring position. They had their chances, and they just completely blew them, and they blew a very good start from Tim Melville. Five innings pitch, he gives up one run. Bullpen from there, which has been in the worst in the big leagues with regards to ERA in the National League since the All-Star break. They wind up going three and a third innings. They give up just one run, but that one run was a walk-off home run for the San Francisco Giants. Being able to belt that one, his first one of the year, and I think his first of his career, Jalen Davis. So good for him in that one. And for the San Francisco Giants, Jeff Samarja, a terrific start. He winds up going six innings. He doesn't allow a single earned run. Bullpen from there goes three innings. They did allow a run, but it was an under run. This is a Giants team that over the last three days have a top five bullpen in the big leagues with regards to ERA and for the year. Top seven in that regard. The Houston Astros were once again a big favorite over the Seattle Mariners. And once again, they were able to cover the run line three to zero the final in this one for the Seattle Mariners. This is a team that is in the top three in regards to overs out there in the big leagues, but they're just not generating any offense. Two hits in this one. And you say Kikuchi. Actually, good start. He wound up playing about 50% of his starts to the under after July, so he certainly improved throughout the year. He gives up two runs over the course of six innings. Bullpen from there gives up one run over the course of three, but for the Houston Astros, just an absolutely tremendous start from Zach Greinke. Eight and a third innings. He gives up two hits, no earned runs. He has been absolutely terrific recently for this team, and then they were able to bring in Will Harris for the final two outs. And for the Houston Astros, one home run in this one was off the bat of one of their big prospects, Kyle Tucker, his third of the campaign to give the team a little bit of insurance in the ninth inning. You had a whole lot of insurance if you were betting on the Minnesota Twins, though, as they get a 5-1 to win over the Detroit Tigers. For the Minnesota Twins, you were able to get a pair of home runs in this one. Luis Arez, his fourth home run of the year, and Eddie Rosario is 32nd as Randy Dobnik, a great start for the Minnesota Twins. Guy that you might want to look out for during the postseason stretch. He winds up going six innings. He gives up one hit, one run, and that was an unearned run. Bullpen from there, three innings. 
They give up one hit, no earned runs. And for the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that got a grand total of two hits. Daniel Norris, actually a good start. Three innings pitch, doesn't give up a single earned run. Both guy Drew Verhagen, struggled a little bit. Four and a third innings pitch, gives up three runs, all of which were earned. And then the bullpen from there winds up giving up two extra runs over the course of five outs. But for the Detroit Tigers, this is a team that scored four runs or fewer in 75% of their games out of the last 60. And for the Minnesota Twins, they just keep rolling as they're actually one of the top under teams out there in the American League ever since the All-Star break. And we've got two games currently in progress. Both of these are in the state of California right now in the bottom of the eighth. The LA Dodgers lead the San Diego Padres by a count of 5-4. to four. If the Padres are unable to come back, it is going to be the 24th time in their last 29 games outside of Coors Field in which they scored four runs or fewer in a game. And for the Dodgers, they were able to get a quadrant of home runs in this one. Jock Peterson, his 34th and 35th home runs of the year. Chris Taylor is 12th. And... Edwin Rios, his fourth home run in the campaign as Ross Stripling served as the starter slash opener in this one. He gives up three runs over the course of three innings, but the Dodgers bullpen from the, here has went a grand total of five innings, and they have allowed just one run. This is a Dodgers team that has a top three bullpen with regards to ERA in the National League. And then for the San Diego Padres, this is a team that did not get the start that they desired out of Denelson Lamette. Five innings pitch, he does get ten strikeouts. He's going to be a guy that gets a lot of swings and misses throughout his career, but he does give up three home runs and four total runs. Bullpen from there has given up one run over the course of three innings. This is a Padres team that is doing for some positive regression with regards to the bullpen, but for the Padres, this is a team that right now in the starting lineup has two guys with a batting average above a 250. so that is why they have certainly been struggling there, and the Oakland A's currently struggling with the LA Angels in the top of the ninth inning. They are currently down by a count of two to one for the Oakland A's. They are right now one for 14 with men in scoring position and have left 11 men on base, and right now their lone form of offense Roman Loreno's 23rd home run of the year and this was a one time and one time only deal as Frankie Montas winds up getting the start and he was actually terrific six innings pitch he gives up one run bullpen from there has given up one run over the course of two innings so that was very intriguing and for the Angels Andrew Heaney who had given up four plus earned runs in every one of his starts in the month of September he looked terrific in this one he gave up one run over the course of five and a third innings you never know what you're going to get out of the Angels bullpen but so far they've gotten eight outs they have yet to give up a run though the A's are right now threatening and they have currently gone one for seven with Ben in scoring position and the lone form of offense for this team was a man out in the outfield that got his first home run in Taylor Ward. So that is very interesting. Unfortunately, I have to post this by midnight Pacific, so not going to be able to give you the final there. But what did we all learn from Major League Baseball on Wednesday? That is the question. How about the fact that sometimes when games go super long, they go over the total, just like Cardinals versus Diamondbacks. The Minnesota Twins continue to roll, and the Detroit Tigers, they have no offense whatsoever. The Cincinnati Reds have been the top under team out there in baseball, but they are not getting good results whenever Tyler Molly's out there. Meanwhile, the Milwaukee Brewers just continue to get great bullpen pitching. The Tampa Bay Rays are continuing to get amazing bullpen pitching and Charlie Morton looking like his old self. The Cleveland Indians are very feast or famine with their bats. It seems like every time they get eight or more earned runs, the next game they get three or fewer. The Philadelphia Phillies continue to be highly inconsistent. And for the Washington Nationals, bullpen starting to look a little bit better for this team. The Chicago Cubs have completely punted on the season. No ifs, fans or buts about that. And they have been absolutely atrocious on the road. The Baltimore Orioles continue to be the joke. Meanwhile, for the Toronto Blue Jays, this is a team that's struggling a little bit with their batting average, especially at home. Robert Duggar is a guy that is doing for some massive regression for the Miami Marlins. Meanwhile, Jacob deGrom 
continues to be absolutely special. The Boston Red Sox are actually getting some very good starts out of Rick Purcell. Meanwhile, the Texas Rangers just do not have anything going right in general. The Atlanta Braves are continuing to put up a whole gob ton of runs. Meanwhile, the Kansas City Royals bullpen continuing to be awful. The bullpen of the Giants, though, looking very good. And for the Colorado Rockies, Jim Melville giving them some very good starts. Meanwhile, the Seattle Mariners, they just can't buy runs to save their lives. And the Houston Astros continue to cover the run line. And the Oakland A's, by the way, now up by a count of 3-2 to over the LA Angels. That would be a home run off the bat of Matt Chapman. That is his 35th home run of the year. So with that trend, the Oakland A's continuing to hit home runs in the state of California. And the Angels bullpen continuing to struggle. And the LA Dodgers continuing to get wins over the Padres, who continue to score four runs or fewer in nearly all of their games outside of Coors Field. So that is what we all learned from Major League Baseball on Wednesday. Now let's turn the page forward to Thursday, and let's bring in one of our buddies from the Vegas Sensitive Information Network to talk about how he handicapped September baseball, how he's looking forward to October, and just some of these games in general. That would be Wes Reynolds, and that is up next right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Greg is going to the bullpen as he makes a call to the Azunia Hotline. All right, we are back here in the Vivid Seat Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. Greg Peters is coming at you once again, and it's great to have on our next guest. You can hear him on the Green Zone throughout the week on the Vegas Sets and Information Network. Now, typically when he does the Green Zone on the weekend, that is from 6 to 10 p.m. Pacific time. On the East Coast, that would be 9 p.m. to 1 a.m., and then... Typically on the weekends, he's more or less on, I would say, from 3 to 7, 4 to 8 p.m. Pacific time. It sometimes varies by the day, but that would be more around 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, all the way up until 10 or 11. So this is a man that is very busy. He does terrific work, not just in golf, but in baseball, NFL, college. You name it, this man does it. And you can follow him on Twitter, at WestReynolds1. It is Wes Reynolds joining me. And how are you doing today, my friend? Greg, good to be with you, sir. How are you? I am doing tremendous. Thank you. We were talking about this a little bit off air. Right now, we are at the very tail end of the regular season. We've only got a couple days left, and I think you and I are both very much looking forward to October baseball because I don't know about you. I had a Twitter question coming in as to what the toughest time of the year to handicap baseball is, and in my opinion, it's September. Last year, my best month was in October because you know all these playoff teams, you know the rosters, the pitchers, and everything like that. Whereas in September, these final couple of days, there are so many unknowns. Yeah, you're getting a lot of call-ups. I mean, when you're getting these full 40-man rosters late in the season, and you know some guys, some teams are, you know, just wanting to book the vacations and book the tea time. It's been a long season. Some guys are getting shut down, i.e. Mike Trout and a few other players. So I think what you're seeing, and you kind of saw it in a couple of those games that went way into the late night, even though St. Louis is still competing really for the division title. A lot of these teams, I mean, I looked at the pitcher usage and I believe Colorado and San Francisco used like 25 and St. Louis and Arizona were right behind. So these games go a long time. And, you know, obviously if you're a playoff team, you don't want to use so many guys, but with the extra players at your disposal, it gives chances for managers to maybe give guys looks in different situations and experiment a little. Absolutely. In that 1990 game against the Arizona Diamondbacks and the St. Louis Cardinals, we saw more than 25 players take the field for the Arizona Diamondbacks. That's more than the amount of players you can actually roster during the 
months of March until August. So I thought that that was very interesting. And we're taking a look at Thursday's card right now. I am seeing offshore because at the time of this broadcast, we don't have any Vegas numbers. Only three of the 11 games have numbers up because a lot of teams have now decided on pitchers and everything like that. And what do you think is the best advice you can give to betters when you do have these games off the board? Because Thursday is a prime situation of you just really can't be able to book in these overnight numbers because, well, there's no overnight numbers. And usually Thursday is one of them. Also, Sunday is usually kind of the getaway day before their next trip. This will be unless maybe there's a couple of these games, I think, that may have four game sets. But for most part, this is the last game of the series before the final series over the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So that's why you see a lot of undecided pitchers. They may want to put a guy and skip a guy in the rotation. I mean, I look at the Dodgers as a prime example, Twins as well. Maybe they want to have an off pitcher. And by that point, with it being four games behind, and I'm speaking of the Indians here, four games of five games to play, if the Indians lose and the Twins win, well, then the Twins know that they have the division wrapped up. So they pretty much know where they're going to be. Same with the Dodgers. So this is when you may skip a start for somebody. So you'll get kind of that six starter, maybe that middle relief type of guy that they throw in there to start to eat some innings. So getaway games more often than not, I'm going to at least look, maybe not necessarily bet or play it, but I'm going to look at least to the under just because you have backup pitchers, you have backup catchers. So usually the backup catcher probably isn't as good of a hitter as the primary catcher. So that's what I kind of look at. And it's just generally a weird day in terms of how many of these teams really want to kind of keep their regular starting rotation going. I mean, like I'm seeing Washington, who did clinch a wildcard spot. I mean, they haven't clinched whether they're going to host the game against likely Milwaukee or have to go to Miller Park. But somebody like that with something to play for, they're going to continue with their regular rotation. So Strasburg's going tomorrow instead of maybe going with somebody like Joe Ross or somebody like that that might not be a starting playoff rotation pitcher. Absolutely. As we do have Wes Reynolds of the Vegas Sets and Information Network joining me right here on the podcast. And you and I both know the Oakland A's are going to be going to the wild card and they're most likely going to be hosting it. I don't know if there's a possibility that the Indians or the Rays would be able to catch them. I would have to think it would be a one out and lose out situation if anything were to happen. But we all know that the Oakland A's pretty set in stone there. And they've got Sean Manea going up against Felix Hernandez of the Mariners and no doubt, the Oakland A's, a pretty hefty favorite. I'm right now seeing this offshore at the A's right around minus 235. And I've really been impressed by Menea because it's one of these situations where you don't know what you're going to get from a guy off the injured list. But I think that something that was redeeming about Sean Menea is the fact that he made so many rehab appearances with the Las Vegas Aviators out there at the minor league level. And you don't see that very often from these pitchers. I think that... It is something that you have to look at because I'm one of those people. I like to typically fade a lot of these guys in their first or second start coming off the injured list. Right. But when they make a lot more rehab appearances, I think it really bodes well for them, just like it has for Maneo. Yeah, and I, and I think also they want to see in Oakland kind of get some evaluation a little bit because I think Oakland is like the rehab for pitchers, really. If you look at this year, Tanner Rourke has pitched very well ever since he's gone out to Oakland. Homer Bailey has been, I think, by and large, at least relatively solid. I don't know if he's going to be a guy in the starting rotation for the series because 
the A's have an interesting situation here because Mike Fires, you know, is at 15 and four, and as well as he's pitched this year, is going to be in that rotation. But they also are getting Frankie Montas, who had that that suspension earlier, so they're trying to work him in to perhaps the rotation, and then they're also looking at. Manaya, so I mean, they have a lot of different options there in Oakland. I mean, we know that Mike Fires is pretty much set in stone that he's going to be in that rotation, and perhaps Tanner Rourke, but the A's really have a little bit of a luxury, particularly when they're at home, of, I think, going with a lot of different ways in terms of their starters. So I'm interested to see how that's going to work with Manaya. And you look, he's pitching against King Felix, and we know Felix isn't the same anymore. This may be the end of his run in Seattle. I don't know if it's necessarily the end of his run for his career. He may end up somewhere else, but Seattle's going to get rid of big contracts and really have to rebuild at this point. I mean, I don't really want to lay this on the road with, with, with Manaya, who's been really, really good, but this is an evaluation start, I think, for this team. And Look, we've seen Oakland step up in the playoffs. They lost those final two games in that series in New York, but they've played very well against the Yankees, who they may match up with in the divisional series round, assuming they get out of the one-game wildcard game, whoever it's against, whether it's against Tampa or Cleveland. The A's are kind of the interesting team because, look, I think we look at the series and we think that it's going to be the Yankees and the Astros. I've had Joe Sheehan on the green zone with myself and Brady Cannon, and he's like, you know, I'd really like to see that Yankees-Astros series because, I mean, it's the ultimate good hitting against good pitching, and at least in terms of starting pitching with Houston. So that the old adage is always good pitching is going to be good hitting in the playoffs. Well, the Yankees got a chance to put that in his test because they have so much depth on their roster because they've not been fully healthy all year in terms of one through nine in their starting lineup. But the A's are kind of the team that I think could be the real fly in the ointment in the American League of not making that series happen. I'm not sure about the Twins. I think their pitching has regressed at least a little bit. I've got a lot more confidence in the A's starting pitching than I do in Minnesota starting pitching. So the A's, I think, are going to be the really interesting team that maybe can pull an upset in the ALDS, but I think it's probably going to be Yankees-Astros. I do agree with you, as it is Wes Reynolds joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. Does terrific work on the Vegas Sets and Information Network, and I do agree with you. I think it's going to be Yankees versus Astros as well. I'd like to see something different, but at the same time, I think it's going to be an uphill task for any of those teams, and a lot of people think that it's going to be the LA Dodgers that are going to represent the National League out there in the World Series, and right now for the Dodgers, obviously, undecided pitcher, we were, as we were talking about a little bit earlier for Thursday, so we have no idea who's going to be going up against Joey Lucchese, but who do you think might be a team that could knock off the Dodgers in a series? Because I still recall the Milwaukee Brewers, my team, they're going to be going to the wild card unless if they lose out and the Cubs win out, go to a game 163, and then the Cubs win that, so pretty much uh, Brewers are going to be in the wild card. I feel like they could be a little bit of a pesky team, even without Christian Yelich, because we've seen this team, and they've got one thing that so many other teams do not. They've got a guy that they can rely upon late in games for multiple innings, and Josh Hader, who had a couple of hiccups in like late July, early August, but right now looks absolutely tremendous. Yeah, the Brewers have been really the surprise team to me. Not necessarily that they've been able to play solid ball without Yelich, who, of course, was an MVP candidate at the time that he went out with injury. But the fact that their bullpen, they just keep getting good results out of these guys. And 
look, Milwaukee and Craig Cancel uses his bullpen a lot compared to some of the other contending teams in the league. And the fact that they've been able to stay the course and be right in this mix is a bit of a surprise to me. I guess when I was asked this question a couple weeks ago, the team that I pointed to was the Nationals, who I think they slumped so badly that it got them really behind the eight ball where they could never catch the Braves. And they were one of the hottest teams in baseball going forward from like the last week of May or so on to now. But they got so behind so early that even when they were winning, the Braves were winning. So they could never really make a dent. They'd get it down to maybe four games or five games, but they could never get it close to where it's like, okay, we're two games, three games back. But I really do like the Nationals and I like them going into the year. It's really interesting. I mean, and it's not really necessarily indictment of Bryce Harper, but I thought the team was just going to be better. I thought there was going to be a more cohesive unit with that bunch. I think that's at least somewhat proven to be the case. And then look, they're the team in the, in the National League that they can roll out Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin, and that can compete with Ryu and Kershaw and Bueller in terms of uh, starting pitching. And I think because you look at the Braves, They've got good guys, but Soroka and Freed are going to be in their first postseason series. So these are unproven guys, at least in the postseason, even though they both had terrific years this year for Atlanta. And Atlanta, of course, is always dangerous, especially at home. But the Nats are the team that I think can maybe give the Dodgers a real scare here. And look, the Dodgers have some issues going into the playoffs. I mean, they are kind of stuck with they're going to have to really trust Kenley Jansen, but he's had some shaky spots this year. And the bullpen depth, I think, took hits with Alexander and Singrani being hurt. They've had to call up Dustin May, the ginger guard, and some starts. And he's got really good stuff, and he's going to be, I think, a fixture in that rotation going forward in the years to come. But he's still young and very inexperienced, so... They're going to have to rely on a guy like that in real high leverage situations. So I do like the Nats. I'm not a huge fan of the, of, of the manager, Dave Martinez. I think he's one of those guys. He's a good clubhouse guy, but not necessarily a good strategy guy when it comes to, I guess, uh, if you want to call it X's and O's in baseball. That's not really his strong suit, but I do still think the Nats could be a potential spoiler here in the National League. I do agree with you, as we do have Wes Reynolds joining me right here on the podcast. And I think the big thing for the Nationals is just being able to get a healthy Max Scherzer because they've been trying to ramp him up. We saw it a couple days ago in that start against the Philadelphia Phillies. He's essentially going up against the Phillies B-team roster and gives up three runs in the first inning. And he just hasn't necessarily looked like himself with the team with the bullpen that they do. They're going to have to slug out eight, ten runs on any given day to be able to win these games. And they're capable of it. Anthony Rendon, Juan Soto, absolutely tremendous. Trey Turner down for what? He has been terrific. You're even getting some contributions out of Azdrubal Cabrera. He was a cast-off on the Texas Rangers. He comes to Washington. All of a sudden, he's making a big run of it. But I just have my trepidations with this team, and I feel like Max Scherzer might be the guy that might tip the scale in the postseason. Yeah, he he has to be healthy. And look, the Nats are a team that has to score runs anyway, because even though they've at least somewhat, I guess, I say that with not a lot of confidence, uh, steadied the bullpen, but it's still not one of the better ones. They've tried a lot of different guys. To, before they have they Fernando Rodney in there, for goodness sakes. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, they've tried Rodney, they've tried a couple others to get to Doolittle, who I think, and he's had his shaky spots as well, but I think he's been at least okay. But when you put out some of those setup guys that, that they've brought in, they just haven't always necessarily worked, and that's why you have to have the Nats score. They're not a team like the Dodgers or, if you go to the American League, the Astros, where they score three runs and win a game. I mean, the Nats have to score five, six, seven runs to, I think, really have a chance, even when they've got Corbin out there, they've got Strasburg out there, and or hopefully a healthy Max Scherzer, they still got to score a lot of runs. I'm right there with you. And then another team I think is going to be very intriguing, if they do make the playoffs, because the Tampa Bay Rays and the Cleveland Indians, really that race is the only one that we have for a playoff spot. I think that's going to be very interesting to see this team moving forward because what I've noticed with the Indians, who are a massive favorite against the Chicago White Sox on Thursday, more than a $2 favorite is, one night they're going to score like 10 runs. We saw this a few nights ago when Mike Clevenger was on the mound. They knock off the White Sox 11 to nothing. Next night, they're going to score two runs. This has been a very inconsistent lineup, but they do bring back Jose Ramirez, who in that game was able to have two home runs, seven RBI, looked absolutely tremendous. And the guy that's going to be on the bump on Thursday, Aaron Savali, He's been one of the toughest luck losers I have found. Three and three record despite having an ERA south of two. He has been absolutely tremendous for this team along with Shane Bieber and company and the Cleveland Indians. I feel like if they can continue to have their pitchers throwing the way that they do, as long as they make the playoffs, they've got a shot to be able to win a series or two. Yeah, I wouldn't disagree with that either. And I think really they've had to have Savali and they've had to have Zach Fleasak. And these are guys that they weren't early in the season looking to be counting on in terms of pitching so many innings, obviously well over their career highs. And then we still don't have Kluber back. They tried to bring back Danny Salazar, but he's just oh, a tough okay. luck guy with hit with his injuries. I mean, the fact that the depth in the starting rotation, which was really kind of their strength going into the season, because they've got good hitters in the lineup. They just don't have a lot of power hitters, which is why they made the deal with San Diego for Reyes and the deal with Puig for guys that maybe could give them some pop in terms of hitting the ball out of the ballpark. But uh, the Indians, I mean, I really thought that the Indians were going to eventually take over the Twins because when I was looking at the Twins starting rotation over the summer, I'm like, okay, well, these guys obviously got to regress because that's when you look at those XFIP numbers versus the ERA numbers and the XFIP numbers, which I think is more of a true indicator, are were way higher on the guys like Odorizzi, on guys like Martin Perez, and then Michael Pineda, who now they don't have to worry about in terms of throwing him out every fifth day. All of these starting pitchers for the Twins, even Barrios, seem to be out pitching their numbers, and then they regress in those numbers, but the Twins have still been able to win and really hold off the Indians. Two months ago, I would have thought, okay, the Indians eventually are going to take this division. They're going to start getting right. And the Twins have held on, so I give them a lot of credit. But the Indians, I think they do have the playoff experience, and I think they've got one of the better managers with Tito Francona, who's been down these roads before and has a lot more experience than some of his counterparts. I agree with you, as we do have Wes Reynolds of the Vegas Edson Information Network joining me right here on MLB Overtime Betting. And Wes, is there anything on Thursday's card that's really sticking out to you as we do this? We've got so many games that are off the board that it's not even funny, so it does make it a little bit tough. We essentially hit on two of the three games that we do have numbers on. There's one other game, the Colorado Rockies with Freeland and Tyler Beattie going with a total of eight and a half that 
I think is one that should certainly go over with the way that these two pitchers have performed. And then you've got a game that doesn't have numbers up, but I do think that the Brewers going on the road against the Cincinnati Reds with Luis Castillo and Chase Anderson going is intriguing as well because it just doesn't matter who the team shots out there as a starting pitcher. The Milwaukee Brewers, with their depth, just seemed like they're able to win low-scoring games no matter who they're facing. It's just been absolutely amazing to watch this run. Yeah, and you look at Castillo, who I believe has been really good this year, but in the second half of the season, his walks have gone up a little bit, and I think he's had such a high usage rate that there's this risk that that the last couple starts of the season that a guy just gets burnt out. And I think maybe that's what you're seeing with the Reds, who are my team, who have had yet another disappointing season. But in terms of the prices that are on the board, maybe with lean a little bit with Tyler Beatty. I mean, I do think that the Giants, even though they tried to give it a go when they got back into the wild card race in the summer, around the deadline. It probably wasn't the best decision, but I understand what they were trying to do. They were trying to give Bruce Bochy kind of one last ride before he retires. I do think that team continues to play hard, even though they're not going anywhere. So of the price games, I I would lead in Giants. But at this point, I'm very much ready for the playoffs. Oh, I agree with you as well. And you do have to take a look at motivation in some of these spots as well. So I'll probably be looking at the Giants in this spot as well. And speaking of motivation, you should all be motivated to listen to the work that Wes Reynolds does. You do a terrific job on the green. So on the Vegas Ads and Information Network. And much like myself, you're a man that you tweet out a lot of plays on your Twitter feed as well at Wes Reynolds one. Let the good people at home know where they can get a little bit more of your work, how to be able to find you on the Vegas Sites and Information Network, and just see elevator pitch about you in general. Okay, uh, and like you mentioned, my Twitter at West Reynolds one Usually have been tweeting out mostly some football, do some basketball and some golf plays. I try to tweet out most stuff that I play, but oftentimes just run a little short on time. So a lot of stuff, you know, it depends on how my schedule is. I like to play a few more derivatives. First halves, second halves. That's really what I think carries me in football because it's hard to beat the 11 to 10 in football with the numbers so tight and there's not a lot of variances from book to book with the numbers. So that's what I do there. I do write for Point Spread Weekly, which is our VSIN weekly newsletter, which I know you also contribute to as well. That comes out every Wednesday and you can go to the website vsin.com for more information about that. And then uh, do the green zone, usually with my co-host Brady Cannon. Monday night, 6 to 10 Pacific, and then I'm on 8 to 10 Pacific, usually Thursday and Friday. I'm all Shaw and I split time with Brady, and then on the weekend with Brady, 2 to 6 Saturday, that's Pacific time, and then 3 to 7 Sunday. So we're usually doing a lot of the in-game stuff, kind of in the later windows of the football card. So it's a lot of fun, and it's a lot of work to monitor all these different games and kind of get out in-game and live prices to the listeners and the viewers, as you know. So uh, enjoying doing that and looking forward to it going forward. And then uh, before you know it, we're going to get basketball starting up. Oh, yes. I'm sure that you and I are both looking forward to the college basketball season. Going to be a whole lot of fun. The MLB playoffs is going to be a whole lot of fun. It's just tremendous to be able to hear your work on the Vegas Sets and Information Network whenever you're giving out in-game plays, how to be able to beat the book in football as well i know that that's not the easiest thing to do and you do a tremendous job of it so a big thanks to west reynolds for joining me right here on mlb overtime betting and coming up next right here on the podcast it is that time in which i give you a side in total on every game on today's las vegas betting board it's something i like to call 
touch them all. Welcome back to MLB Overtime. Greg is throwing a gem, so yeah, he better not blow it. And we are back here in the Vivid Seat Studios for MLB Overtime Betting. A big thanks to our man, Wes Reynolds of the Vegas Sets and Information Network for joining me in the last segment. And now it is that time of the podcast in which I give you a side and total on every game on today's Las Vegas betting board or what we have of it in a little something I like to call Touch Em All. If a game is listed on the betting board, Greg has a side and a total on it, so it is time to touch them all. Typically, I give a pretty normal disclaimer, but on this one, we have to go a little bit custom. Of the 11 games on the Vegas betting board for Thursday, three of them right now have numbers, and I have not locked in any plays from these three games, so everything as of right now is a lean. So you might see some changes to these plays and everything like that up on my Twitter feed, at GNRSCore81 going to be coming out with a lot of numbers in the morning and everything like that. So I just want to give you that disclaimer. Going to get a whole lot of leans. We've got quite a few games with undecided pitchers, pitchers that were just decided, everything like that. So just be mindful of that. There's nothing that is locked in, but you will be getting my analysis on every one of these games and where I'm leaning and typically where I'm leaning is where I wind up betting. And we're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order as per usual. And that begins with 901-902. The Cincinnati Reds play the Milwaukee Brewers. Chase Anderson goes for the Brewers. Meanwhile, Luis Castillo for the Cincinnati Reds. This game is currently off the board. And with Chase Anderson... Can't think that he's going to be giving the team too many innings. With the Milwaukee Brewers, they've been taking the wholesale approach in so many of these games that it's not even funny. And for Chase Anderson, he has exceeded five innings really once since August 1st. So this is a gentleman that you're probably going to see for about four to five innings. And he has actually been very good recently. You take a look at... Every one of his starts ever since he gave up that five spot to the Chicago Cubs at end of August. He's given up a grand total of five earned runs over the course of four starts. Now he's went four innings, four innings, four innings, and six innings. So he certainly hasn't been giving a lot of length, but this is a Brewers bullpen that has won the tops in the big leagues over the last three days. Meanwhile, the Cincinnati Reds, ever since the All-Star break, they've had a bottom 10 bullpen, but Luis Castillo has done a very good job for this team all year long. He's a little bit better at home than he is on the road, though he has shown some chinks in the arm at home. The eight spot that he gave up to the St. Louis Cardinals in the middle of August obviously was not a good sign, but this is a man that has given up more than three earned runs really twice ever since July 26th. So he has been pretty rock solid, 325 ERA. He's given up 1.1 home runs per nine innings, and this is a Milwaukee Brewers team that came out, and they just absolutely unloaded a can of you-know-what on Tyler Molly. This is a group of Brewers that you've got a lot of guys that have similar batting averages. All these guys are hitting really between 248 and I would say a 270. Corey Spangenberg, Lorenzo Cain, Eric Thames, Mike Moustakas, Yasmani Grandal, Trent Grisham, Ben Gamble, all in that neighborhood. But with Mike Moustakas, he has been able to supply the boom for this team. 35 home runs. Kesson Hura is hitting a 300. He's got 19 home runs, and you know what we say whenever he produces. He is a hero. And Ryan Braun at a grand slam yesterday. He's hitting a 285 for this bunch. You do have a couple guys like Orlando Arcia, Travis Shaw, Manny Pina and company that need to pick it up. But all in all, this is a solid Brewers lineup without... Christian Yelich, not a great one. And for the Cincinnati Reds, this is a team that's seeing a lot of guys dip with their batting averages. Jose Peraza, Tucker Barnhart, Josh Van Meter, 
and Kyle Farmer, all guys hitting between a 230 and a 240. Eugenio Suarez, along with Aristides Aquino and Joey Votto, are all in between a 258 and a 273, though I will say for Suarez, he has 49 home runs on the year and leads the league in regards to home runs for the second half of the year. You then have Philip Irvin hitting a 275, Jose Iglesias a 285, but this is a spot where I'm certainly going to be leaning towards the Milwaukee Brewers, especially if Luis Castillo is a favorite in the spot. If Luis Castillo is a favorite, going to be all aboard the Brewers, probably going to be all aboard the Brewers regardless, but if you're seeing a total on this game, anything above an 8, I'm going to be looking at an under. The Reds have been the top under team out there in the big leagues, and the Brewers have just been masterful with their pitching. Early leans on that one. As always, check back in the Twitter feed, and I'm going to be saying that a lot. 903-904 on the bang rotation. The LA Dodgers hit the road to face off against the San Diego Padres. Just announced it is going to be Clayton Kershaw going for the Dodgers. Meanwhile, Joey LaCasey for the Padres. This game is also presently off the board, and Something that you do need to note about this one is the fact that Joey Lucchese, a much better pitcher at home than he is on the road. At home, his ERA hovers right around a three. I believe that he's lost two decisions at home so far this year. On the road, the ERA is north of six, and we've seen that reflected. In his last two starts on the road, he went a combined seven and two-thirds innings, giving up 11 runs, all of which were earned. Meanwhile, you take a look at every start that he's made at home ever since the All-Star break. He has given up three earned runs or fewer in every one of them, and the last time he gave up more than three earned runs in a home start was July was June 6th so he has been rock solid meanwhile Clayton Kershaw we are seeing some chinks in the armor with him as well. This is a gentleman that for the year, whenever he's taken the mound for the LA Dodgers, they've won about 75% of his starts, but there was a streak in which they lost three straight of his starts from the end of August until the beginning of September. And by and large, Clayton Kershaw has not necessarily been himself. He's given up three earned runs or more in five out of his last six starts. So this is a guy that certainly is looking leaky, but I will say this for the Padres. Entering into Wednesday, this is a team that had scored four runs or fewer in 24 out of their last 29 games not played at Coors Field. This is a Padres team that they're just not generating a lot of offense, but you know who is generating quite a bit of offense? That team in the LA Dodgers, and they've got a man by the name of Cody Bellinger that's hitting 346 home runs at 114 RBI. You have Jock Peterson and Max Muncy. Both these guys hitting between a 245 and a 250. Both have 33 or 34 home runs. Corey Seager has been able to do a good job of getting on base. He Matt Beattie, along with A.J. Pollock and Gavin Lux have all been solid. Lux is hitting right around a 255. Rest of these guys in the neighborhood of a 270 to 275. You are noticing that Chris Taylor has seen his batting average up to a 260, and you've got Kike Hernandez back the full D. He's been doing decent. Will Smith, whenever he's out there, gets a home run every 11 and a half at-bats. And for the Padres, this is a team with really no contact whatsoever. In their starting lineup yesterday, they had two guys with a batting average above a 245. Got quite a few guys in that, I would say, 235 to 240 range. Ty France, Josh Naylor, Will Myers, Manuel Margot, Greg Garcia, all in that fold. But then you got guys like Austin Hedges, Luis Areas, Tyler Janikowski, Hunter Renfro, Ian Kinsler, who I believe is done for the year. The list goes on and on of guys that are hitting a 225 or lower. But I will say this for Eric Osmer, 97 RBI, 271 batting average. He has been terrific. Manny Machado was out of the lineup yesterday. He's got 30 home runs. He's hitting right around 250, so you do want to note that. And I will say, Francisco Mejia, he's hitting a 270. He's been good whenever he's been out there. And for the Padres, this is a team that should see some positive regression with regards to their bullpen ERA. I think that this is a Dodgers team that should be able to get to Joey LaCase 
Casey a little bit. Joey LaCasey has been very good at home. So early lean on this one is going to be the under. If the Dodgers are some sort of a ridiculous favorite, might take a shot on the San Diego Padres. If this is a little bit more of a conventional line like the Dodgers laying below minus 150, probably going to be looking at that spot. So once again, check back in the Twitter feed for set plays there. 905-906 on the bagging rotation. A game with numbers. Colorado Rockies at the road to face off against the San Francisco Giants. Tyler Beattie goes for the Giants. Kyle Freeland for the Colorado Rockies. Your total on this game is 8.5. Over juice of minus 120. The under is even. If you're looking at those Giants laying minus 120, plus price here on the Colorado Rockies is plus 110. All aboard the San Francisco Giants in this spot. We were talking about it with our good buddy Wes Reynolds. There's going to be a whole lot of motivation for sending out Bruce Bochy on a high note. And let's face it, with Kyle Freeland, he actually served as an opener in his last time out. He was a two-inning opener, and then you had Chichi Gonzalez going from there. You do want to note that, because if that is the case, I might be looking at the Colorado Rockies a little bit more. But in the actual starts that Kyle Freeland has provided, he has given up three earned runs or more in all but two of them ever since the beginning of May. This guy has been absolutely awesome. Awful. He was the best first five pitcher in the league last year, and all of a sudden, he is about as useful as a poopy flavored lollipop. Meanwhile, Tyler Beatty, he actually had a string of decent starts in September. He went a grand total of 11 and a third innings against the Dodgers and the Miami Marlins. Did not give up a single run there, but he looks like he's back to being Tyler Beatty as he wound up giving up six runs in six innings in his last start. And this is a man that in the month of August gave up three runs or more in all but one of his starts. This is a guy that you probably don't want to be really rely upon and under four. He's giving up right around 1.85 home runs per nine innings. Walks are high. He's given out just under four per nine. But with the San Francisco Giants, this is a team that has a little bit of contact now in the lineup. You got to like the way that Mikey Stremski has been performing. His batting average just below 275. He's got 20 home runs. And then you've got Kevin Pilar, who's got 21 of them. Evan Longoria is right in that realm as well. And Brandon Belt has been able to provide a couple. But, but you got to note that the San Francisco Giants really was kicking the tires on a lot of newer guys yesterday. You saw Chris Shaw in the lineup. They had Davis in the outfield. These are guys that you don't really want to be betting on. You did have Mauricio Dubin, who has been very nice for this team as well. He's hitting right around 245. He's been solved, but Brandon Crawford's only hitting at 230 himself, so this is a Giants team that they're looking to see what they have, and for the Colorado Rockies, you do have Nolan Arenado in the fold. He's hitting a 315, 41 home runs, 118 RBI. Charlie Blackman also hitting a 315. He's got 31 dingers. Trevor's story got the day off yesterday. He's hitting just below 300, over 30 home runs, over 20 stone bases. Then you got a couple other guys that are doing a decent job with their batting average. You got Ryan McMahon, Sam Hilliard, and Ian Desmond all in between a 245 and a 255 throwing their Garrett Hampson as well. It was actually gotten up for this team. I will give him credit there. Daniel Murphy's hitting right around 280. Tony Walters more in the realm, maybe a 265. But then you got guys like Josh Fuentes. Jonathan Diaz, guys like this that are not doing a whole heck of a lot. And for the Colorado Rockies, ever since the All-Star break, they're both in the bottom three in the big leagues with regards to ERA. And for the San Francisco Giants, they've been one of the best teams with regards to bullpen ERA over the last 30 days. I think that this is a spot that as long as Kyle Freeland is going to be the starter and he's not just an opener, you got to be looking at the Giants and you got to be looking at an over. With regards to this number, right now I'm just trying to see what sort of a role Kyle Freeland's going to be playing before I fire in on the Giants. And I'm also going to be looking at 
trying to get a little bit of better juice on this number. I would probably rather take an unjuiced sign rather than a number of eight and a half with minus 120. I'm probably going to be looking money line here because the run line performance of the Giants as a favorite going into Wednesday was that they were 10 and 25 at being able to cover the run line. That is worse out there in baseball as a favorite. So you want to keep that in mind. 907-908 on the bank rotation is the Washington Nationals going to be playing also the Philadelphia Phillies. Jason Vargas goes for the Phillies. Meanwhile, Steven Strasburg for the Nationals. Another game that is presently off the board. I think that the Philadelphia Phillies were unsure of who they were going to have starting because, well, they have now been knocked out of postseason contention. And you got to think that there's going to be a whole lot of motivation here for Steven Strasburg. With the Washington Nationals, they're still trying to get home field advantage for that wild card game. And for Steven Strasburg, he has been absolutely terrific, whether it be home or road. He's given up more than 300 runs in one out of his last six starts. Ever since getting really blown up by the Arizona Diamondbacks, he has been sensational. He's getting just under 12 strikeouts per nine innings. He's given up right around one home run per nine. He's backed up by a bullpen that, let's face it, it's got Fernand. Oh, no! Rodney in and a bunch of other bad guys, but he has been delivering seven-plus strong innings. He has been very good for the team, and he's backed up by a Washington National squad that you've got Trey Turner down for what? And Anna Meat in the top of it, both hitting between a 282 and a 295. Howie Kendrick has been playing a nice role for the team as well. He's now hitting a 343. Juan Soto along with Anthony Rendon, which Anthony Rendon got the day off yesterday. You don't want to keep that in mind, but both these guys, at least 105 RBI, on-base percentage above a 400. 34 home runs for each. As Zerbal Cabrera, ever since he's gotten to this team, he's hitting right around at 300. For the year, he's hitting more around at 250, which is where Victor Robles is hitting as well. Jan Gomes has not been good for the year along with Wilmer Defoe. Both these guys hitting at 225 to 235, but even Jan Gomes starting to produce for this team. Need a little bit more of guys like Brian Dozier, Matt Adams are hanging below at 240, but by and large, very good lineup. Meanwhile, for the Philadelphia Phillies, you saw more of the regulars in there after game two of that doubleheader a couple days ago. You saw some guys resting. You've got Cesar Hernandez, Gene Segura, and... JG Remuto all in between a 275 and a 285 for this bunch. Reese Hoskins and Bryce Harper both have an on-base percentage between a 365 and a 375, but for Hoskins, the batting average just continues to dip. It's right now at a 228. He's got 29 home runs. Most of those came in the first half. Meanwhile, for Harper, over 100 RBI. He's got right around 33 to 34 home runs, so he has been solid for this team. Then you got guys like Adam Azili and Scott Kingery hitting between a 255 and a 265, but you don't have a whole lot past that with guys like Austin Knapp and company. And for the Philadelphia Phillies, I will give them credit. Bullpen has been decent, but probably going to be a spot where I look at the run line of the Washington Nationals, just because with Jason Vargas, he's not like the worst pitcher in the world, but at the same time, he just seems to stub his toe at the absolute worst time. 7-8 record, 440 ERA. He wound up giving up four runs at his last start, but only two of which were earned. He's given up two earned runs, really in, I believe, like 65% of his starts. You take a look at his last nine starts. He's given up two earned runs in six of them. There have been some unearned runs along the way, but in the starts in which he didn't give up two earned runs, he gave up four or more in the other three. So he's going to give up runs. The question is how many, and the bullpen just has not supported him very well. If you're seeing a total of nine and a half or greater, certainly going to be taking a look at the under. Seeing a total of like eight and a half, probably going to be leaning towards an under. As always, though, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSQuarty1, and yes, I'm going to be continuing to say this. As we move on to 909, 9-10 on the bang rotation, the Chicago Cubs at the road to face off against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Going for the Buccos is Joe Musgrove. Meanwhile, Jose Quintana goes for the Chicago Cubs, and this game is currently off the board. And this is a spot where if you thought that the things I was giving you with the games off the board were unpredictable before, how about if we enter Joe Musgrove, the most unpredictable starter in the big leagues? 
This is a man that over his last two starts has given up two earned runs over the course of 10 innings, but there were a couple unearned runs in there, and I will give him credit. He's given up three earned runs or fewer in all but one of his starts ever since August 10th, so he's been doing a solid job there. But with that said, the start before, he gave up eight runs over the course of three and a third innings against the New York Mets. You take a look at his month of July. He had two starts in which he gave up zero runs. He had a start in which he gave up two. He gave up a three spot. He gave up a four spot. He gave up a five spot. This is a guy in Joe Musgrove that you just don't know what you're going to get out of him. His splits are pretty equal. He's just one of these guys that you're either going to get good Joe Musgrove, you're going to get bad Joe, Joe Musgrove, or you're going to get average Joe Musgrove. It's 33-33-33 in regards to those splits. You just don't know what it's going to be. Meanwhile, Jose Quintana, this guy has been absolutely awful recently. He has given up four or more earned runs in all four of his starts in the month of September, and dating back to August, that would make it five out of his last six in which he's given up four or more earned runs, but he was rolling in August. In August, he had one start at which he gave up more than two earned runs. That was the fourth spot that he gave up to the Nationals on August 24th, but Things have unraveled for this Chicago Cubs team. They entered into Wednesday on a seven-game losing streak. This team is out of the playoffs. They just look absolutely lost in the wilderness, but you do know this about the Chicago Cubs. They certainly do have some guys that are able to supply offensively. Kyle Schwarber has been terrific. He's got his batting average hovering right around a 245 to a 250 now. He's got 37 home runs. And then you got the guys in the middle of the lineup that are hitting between like a 285 and a 300 that all have 23 plus home runs. Wilson Contreras, I know he hits a 275, but he's been able to supply some power along with Anthony Rizzo, Nick Cassianos, Chris Bryan, who's been in and out of the lineup. They have all been doing a good job. You've also got Ian Happ, who has been absolutely hapless, 236 batting average. Albert Amara Jr. is hitting at 240, but David Bodie hitting more around a 260 for this bunch. Jason Hayward around a 255. And Nico Horner, ever since he's been called up to the big leagues, hitting at 290, that's been a nice contribution. And whenever you got Victor Carantini, he delivers terrific at-bats. But for the Pittsburgh Pirates, this is a team that has absolutely no power whatsoever in it with Josh Bell and Sterling Marte currently out of the fold. But you do have a lot of guys that don't strike out, and they provide a good batting average. Kevin Newman and Brian Reynolds both hitting above a 300 for this bunch. You then have Adam Frazier along with Melky Cabrera and Jacob Sullings all in between a 270 and a 280. Jose Ozuna is hitting a 263 as well. But now, with all the injuries, you're seeing a lot of guys like your Cody Tuckers, Pablo Reyes, Elmore in the outfield. You're seeing a lot of guys getting an opportunity, and these guys... Let's face it, they're not very good. The Pirates bullpen over the last three days have the worst bullpen out there in the big leagues in regards to ERA. And for the Chicago Cubs, to your surprise, ever since the All-Star break, they have the best bullpen ERA out there in the big leagues. This is one that's going to depend on the number. I'm probably going to be looking at an over in this spot. If the Cubs are reasonable price, going to be looking at them. If you're noticing the Pirates at like plus 150 or something like that, I might take a shot on them. Once again, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed. I know I'm a broken record. I'm sorry. 9-11, 9-12 on the betting rotation is X. The New York Mets play host the Miami Marlins. Jordan Yamimoto goes for the Miami Marlins. That's a fun name to say. Meanwhile, Zach Wheeler on the bump for the New York Mets. Once again, a game that is presently off the board. And with Jordan Yamimoto, this is a guy that was put on the shelf quite a bit for the Miami Marlins, but by and large, it has been very inconsistent with him. He got off to a tremendous start to his career, and then he was just getting banged around like a pinata in his last couple starts before being relegated out of the fold. In his last start against Washington Nationals, four and a third innings, he gave up two runs, did not look bad there, but in the month of August, he gave up four or more earned runs in all but one of his starts. So that's 
one, the bottom fell out, and his last two starts in the months of July gave up five plus as well while going four innings or fewer in both of those. So this is a guy that has certainly been lending himself to giving up runs. Meanwhile, Zach Wheeler, this guy has actually been terrific this year. He's given up less than a home run per nine innings. But I will say this, you either get good Zach Wheeler or you get bad Zach Wheeler. We have seen that time and time again as in the month of August, in three out of his last four starts in the month, he wound up going five or six innings, and he gave up three-plus earned runs in three out of those four. But you take a look at the month of September and the last start that he had in the month of August, he has given up one earned run in each of those last five starts. He is right now peaking, and it's right when the New York Mets have played their way out of the playoffs. Go figure. But with the New York Mets, you also do have a very formidable lineup that I will say, second-best batting average out there in the big leagues ever since the All-Star break. You've got guys that are doing a great job of being able to hit J.D. Davis, along with Wilson Ramos and Amit Rosario ever since the break, have been hitting a 320 or greater. And Jeff McNeil, all year long, has been hitting a 320 for this bunch. That's been terrific. Pete Alonso has 50 home runs. Batting average is right around a 260. He's got over 115 RBI. Michael Conforto has over 30 dingers. He's hitting right around a 255 to 260 himself. Robinson Cano is hitting a 260. Todd Frazier, more in the realm of a 245. And then you got a couple guys like Juan Lagares and Brandon Nimmo in the outfield that they need to pick it up. Meanwhile, for the Miami Marlins, have a couple guys that are doing a good job of being able to get on base. John Birdie and Miguel Rojas are hitting right in the realm of a 280 to a 285. Garrett Cooper's out of the full, but you still have Neil Walker, Cerrone Castro, Jorge Alfaro, and a couple other guys out there in the outfield. They're hitting between a 260 and a 270. And then whenever Brian Holiday's out there, he's hitting right around 280 as well. You just need more out of guys like Izan Diaz, Curtis Granderson, Lewis Brinson. They're all hitting a 185 or lower. Austin Dean's hitting at 225, which doesn't sound impressive, but it's been doing a little bit of a better job there. But we also know this. The Miami Marlins, one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues for the New York Mets ever since the All-Star break. Top eight bullpen with regards to ERA out there in the big leagues. Probably going to be looking at the Mets on the run line. If you're seeing a total of something like eight, I think the Mets could get there all by themselves. We'll be looking at that over. A total of nine would start to be looking at an under, but those are my early leans there. Check back in the morning once again for set plays here because this game is off the board. 9-13, 9-14 on the bang rotation is X. The Minnesota Twins at the road face off against the Detroit Tigers. Jordan Zimmerman goes for the Tigers. Meanwhile, for the Minnesota Twins on the betting board, it is currently to be announced. And for that, we once again have a game that is off the board. Currently on ESPN, we are seeing absolutely no pitcher for the Minnesota Twins, so we are flying blind here, but we do know Jordan Zimmerman, a 1-12 record with a 6.85 ERA. This is absolutely atrocious. Now, I will say that there was a stretch from, I would say, late July until even early September, which he was actually doing a decent job. He had an ERA in that time span right around a three-ish. It has really started to fall out. And just how bad is it with this guy? If you've bet $100 on every one of Jordan Zimmerman's 22 starts, you are down $1,120. That is the least profitable pitcher out there in the big leagues. Second on that list, Spencer Turnbull, his teammate. So, needless to say, the Tigers have not been making you a lot of money. And you take a look at Jordan Zimmerman over his last three starts. He has given up a grand total of 19 earned runs over the course of 13 and two-thirds innings. He now has to face off against a Minnesota Twins team that has the record for most home runs in a big league season by any team. And a guy in Nelson Cruz that has just been absolutely cruising with 40 home runs, batting average above a 300. He has been doing an absolutely amazing job for this team. You then have guys like Eddie Rosario along with Mitch Garvin company that have right around 30 home runs. Their batting averages are right around a 280. 
You then have a bunch of guys like your CJ Crones, Jonathan Scopes, Marwan Gonzalez, guys like this. They're hitting between a 250 and a 265. They've got great pop in the bat. Miguel Sano, don't you know this guy has 33 home runs on the year. He's getting a home run every 12 or so at bats. He's hitting more in the realm of a 245. Jorge Polanco is hitting a 295. This is a team that's just absolutely loaded. And for the Detroit Tigers, right now their leader in home runs, Brandon Dixon with 15 of them. This was late September in the juice ball era. This team is an absolute disgrace. He, along with Christian Stewart, Darwell Lugo, all in between a 240 and a 250. I will say Victor Reyes and Aero Castro in between a 290 and a 300. You got Miguel Barrero hitting a 285 for this bunch. Jody Mercer hitting more in the realm of a 270. But then you got guys like Jaimir Candelario, Grayson Griner, Jordan Hicks, Willie Castro, Gordon Beckham. List goes on and on of guys hurting at 225 or worse. Roddy Rodriguez. I'm sorry, I forgot to include him. And I probably forgot to include in like four other guys. This is a Detroit Tigers team that's just completely breadth of offensive talent. And yet, if I'm seeing a total on this game of anything below a 10, I'm going to be hammering the over just because with the Minnesota Twins, I think that they can get to 10 all by themselves on Jordan Zimmerman. The Detroit Tigers bullpen is awful. For the Minnesota Twins, bullpen hasn't necessarily been great, but at the same time, it's been right around league average recently. So it's been a solid group. They're probably going to give up a couple runs to the Detroit Tigers, but I'm going to be looking at the Twins on the run line in some form or capacity. And the total is going to have to depend on the numbers. So as always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed. I know I said it once again. 9-15, 9-16 on the bank rotation is X. The Boston Red Sox are on the road against the Texas Rangers. Mike Miner goes for the Texas Rangers. Brian Johnson for the Boston Red Sox. Another game that is presently off the board. But I can tell you with Brian Johnson... Do not rely on this guy giving you really anything more than three or four innings. This guy has also been not necessarily having the best of years. ERA currently north of six for him. He is pretty much a pseudo opener. Meanwhile, with Mike Miner, things have really fallen through for him. He's now giving up right around 1.3 home runs per nine innings. This is a guy that got off to a tremendous start to the year, was an all-star. In his last two starts, he's given up a grand total of 13 earned runs over the course of 10 innings. I will say, this is against the Oakland A's, and the Oakland A's have been smoldering hot, but his last three starts in the month of August, he gave up three-plus earned runs in all of those. In the month of July, he gave up three-plus earned runs in every one of those starts as well. And for the Boston Red Sox, the bullpen is starting to wilter a little bit because they have been using so many guys as essentially pseudo-openers like Ulysses Chassin and company, but they have been actually a top-ten bullpen ever since the beginning of the month of August. We all hate on the Boston Red Sox bullpen, but it's actually been decent recently. For the Boston Red Sox, they've actually been failing to generate runs recently, that is until this series against Texas, but they've got a lot of guys out there in the middle of the lineup that are able to produce. Rafael Devers, Xander Bogarts, J.D. Martinez, all guys hitting between a 300 and a 310, all with 31 to 35 home runs. That's pretty darn good. You've got Mookie Betts, who's got 29 home runs. He's hitting a 290. He got the day off yesterday. Andrew Benatendi, along with Christian Vasquez, both hitting between a 265 and a 275. Mitch Moreland, along with Marco Hernandez, are between a 240 and a 250. You got a couple guys like Chris Owings, Jackie Bradley Jr., Gorky Hernandez, Sandy Leon hitting a 225 or lower, but this is a pretty good lineup. Meanwhile, for the Texas Rangers, this is not necessarily the best of lineups, but you do have a couple guys that are starting to come through and provide some average. Noah Mazzara, Willie Calhoun, Sinchu Chu, Elvis Andrews, all in between a 265 and a 275. And for Chu, Willie Calhoun, and Mazzara, they all have between 20 and 23 home runs. You then have a lot of guys that need to pick it up with their bat. Steve Heinemann, Tim Fedorowitz, Jeff Matt, this Rudinator Door, Ronald Guzman, all guys hitting a 220 or lower, and Isaiah Kinnear Falfa, not far off. He's hitting a 225, but in the case of Rudinator Door, he does have 28 home runs at 84 RBI, which lead the team. Danny Santana has been the constant for this bunch. He is one of the 
highest strikeout guys out there in the big leagues with regards to percentage, but he's hitting a 285 with 26 home runs. Then you do have the speed of Delano DeShield Jr. hitting just below a 250. He's a good stolen base guy, but by and large, this is a spot where I'm probably going to be looking at the Boston Red Sox in a little bit of a higher scoring matchup. If we're seeing a ridiculous total like 12, I might be looking at another, but probably anything below an 11 is going to be an over, and I'm probably going to be looking at the Boston Red Sox in this spot, but once again, check back in the morning because we just don't know what the line is going to be. 917-918 is X on the bang rotation. It is the Cleveland Indians hitting the road to face off against the Chicago White Sox, and we've got a line on this game as it is Dylan Cease going for the White Sox. Meanwhile, Aaron Savali for the Cleveland Indians. Your total on this game is 9. Under is just anywhere between minus 110 and minus 115. The over is anywhere between minus 105 and minus 110. If you're looking at the Indians, going to be laying anywhere between minus 194 and minus 195. Meanwhile, your plus price here on the south side is anywhere between plus 175 and plus 177. This is a spot where I certainly do have to be looking at the Cleveland Indians. Now, Dylan Cease, in his last couple starts, has actually looked a little bit better. I've got to give him credit here. And with Dylan Cease, this is a guy that gets right around 10.5 strikeouts per nine innings. So he is a good swing and miss guy. But with that said, the good starts for Dylan Cease have come against teams that, well, they're not necessarily the best. He's given up one run in each of his last three starts, but that was against the Detroit Tigers, Seattle Mariners, and LA Angels. Meanwhile, in his previous starts, he had given up three or more earned runs in four out of his last six, and that came against the Angels, the Texas Rangers, and he gave up four runs the last time he faced off against the Cleveland Indians. So that is certainly a situation that you do on a monitor. Meanwhile, do not let the 3-3 three and three record of Aaron Savali fool you. 182 ERA. This is a guy that has been absolutely sensational. He has not allowed more than two earned runs in a single one of his eight starts. He has been terrific. In 54 and a third innings, he has given up two earned runs. He's right now giving out right around two and a half walks per nine innings. Not necessarily the greatest swing and miss guy, but he's also backed up by the best bullpen with regards to ERA out there in the big leagues. He has been absolutely magnificent. And for the Cleveland Indians, you're starting to get some production at the top line. Lineup. Francisco Lindor, Carlos Santana, Oscar Mercado, all guys hitting between a 280 and a 290. In the case of Santana and Lindor, between 31 and 34 home runs apiece. Fanmiel Reyes has not been necessarily hitting the best with the Indians. He's hitting right around a 220 in Cleveland, but for the year, he's got 36 home runs. Roberto Perez is starting to up his batting average. He, along with Jake Bowers, are both hitting between a 235 and a 240. In the case of Perez, he's got 24 home runs. Greg Allen needs to pick it up. He's hitting right around 230, but whenever you got Mike Freeman and Jordan Luplo out there, these guys are hitting between a 278 and a 275. And yes, he'll put you guys hitting at 270 as well. And Jose Ramirez back in the fold as well. This is a guy that's getting a home run every 20 at bats. We saw him in his first game back. He wound up having two home runs at seven RBI, saying 255 for the year, and also 24 stolen bases. That's a little bit underrated. And for the Chicago White Sox, you do have some guys that are doing a good job of getting a base. Luis Garcia, James McCann, Jose Abreu. All guys hitting between a 270 and a 281. In the case of Abreu, 121 RBI, 33 home runs. He's been sensational. Yoan Mancada is a gentleman that's hitting a 315 with 24 home runs of his own. Tim Anderson never walks for the team, but he's hitting a 335. You also have Yomer Sanchez and Adam Engel hitting between a 245 and a 255. But then you got the guys that need to pick it up with their bat. Wellington Castillo, Matt Scully, Ryan Cordell, Zach Collins, Daniel Polka. All guys hitting a 230 or lower. And for Daniel Polka, the fact that he's out 5 of 74 is actually a come up for him, which is really, really sad. And for the Chicago White Sox, this is a team that by and large doesn't necessarily have a terrible bullpen, but it's just been badly used. This is a spot where I am certainly going to be looking at the Cleveland Indians on the run line, and I'm going to be taking a look at the over as well, trying to see if I'm able to get a little bit more favorable juice, because this total actually opened up a 9.5. It quickly dropped to 9, so I'm going to see if it drops a little bit more, so I'm liking what I'm seeing there. 
Meanwhile, with this run line, currently seeing it right around a minus 125 to a minus 130. So we'd like to be able to mitigate the juice if at all possible there. We move on to 919, 920 on the betting rotation. You've got the Houston Astros on the road facing off against the LA Angels. For the Angels, it is currently to be announced on the Vegas betting board. Meanwhile, Wade Miley is going to hope to not get hit like a wrecking ball against the LA Angels. This game presently off the board as well. And right now, for the LA Angels, I am seeing a starter of Jaime Barilla. And if that is the case, I'm certainly going to be taking a look at the over with Jaime Barilla in his last start against the Houston Astros. He wound up recording eight outs, and he gave up six runs, all of which were earned. This is a guy that actually has given up two earned runs in four out of his last six starts. I will give him credit there, but... Whenever he faces teams that are able to hit, oh boy, it just does not go well for him. He's giving up 2.5 home runs per nine innings. Has limited the walks rate around three walks per nine innings, but it's not much of a swing and miss guy. And with the Houston Astros, you've got a team that is just full of mashers at this point. How about this for the Houston Astros? All these guys have a batting average of a 290 or greater and at least 22 home runs. Michael Brantley, George Springer, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, Jordan Alvarez, Yuri Gurriel. That is insane. Robinson Chirinos has a batting average right around at 245, but he's been doing a much better job recently. Kyle Tucker, ever since getting called up to the big leagues, is hitting above a 300. You've got Josh Reddick and Aledmiz Diaz hitting in the neighborhood of a 270. Abraham Toro needs to pick it up a little bit. He's hitting a 235, but that's right now the biggest nitpick I can find with the Astros lineup. It's absolutely insane. And they have one of the best bullpens out there in the American League and in all baseball in general, no matter what split you look at. And they face an Angels team that right now they're without all their pieces. Shoyo Tani, Mike Trout, and Justin Upton all out of the lineup. You do currently have Albert Pujols in there. He's been doing a decent job. 250 batting average, 93 RBI, 23 home runs. And Cole Calhoun has been supplying some boom. 33 home runs, right around a 235 batting average. Daniel Fletcher's getting on base, 293. His batting average, Brian Goodwin, has been getting on base. And Rolton Simmons, though Simmons, has been in and out of the lineup himself. And these guys are both hitting between a 260 and a 265. But then you've got the famine bats of this team. Tyler Ward. Jared Walsh, Austin Bemboom, Justin Bohr, Max Stassi, Wilfredo Tovar, Matt Theus. List goes on and on of guys that are hitting a 225 or lower for this bunch. You also have noticed that Luis Rangifo has been out of the fold for the Angels. The bullpen has been very suspect, and that's putting it politely. This is going to be one of those spots where I think that Wade Miley is probably going to give up some runs once again. This is a guy in which things have not necessarily went well for him. In three out of his last four starts, he has lasted one inning or fewer, giving up four earned runs or more in those three starts. He had one quality start against the Kansas City Royals in which he gave up two runs over the course of six innings. But you take a look at his last four starts. He has went seven and a third innings, and he has given up a grand total of 18 runs with four strikeouts. That's awful. This guy is 14 and six with a 391 ERA. Needless to say, regression has hit him, and that regression train has hit him hard. But with that said, he's backed up by a good bullpen. I mean, but he, uh, he is not backed up by a good bullpen. If we're seeing the Astros at like a $3 favorite, I would have to take a shot on the Angels just out of principle. But with that said, if you're seeing a more reasonable rep- if you're seeing a more reasonable price, probably going to be looking at the Houston Astros on the run line and a total over. As always, check back in the morning on my Twitter feed at GNRSCORDY1 for set plays there, but that's where I'm looking at in this one. And we wrap things up with 921-922 on the bang rotation. The Oakland A's at the road to face off against the Seattle Mariners. 
The once King Felix Hernandez goes for the Mariners. Meanwhile, Sean Manea for the Oakland A's. Your total on this game is 9, and we have a number on this game. The over and under, both at minus 110 on that 9. Meanwhile, if you're looking at the A's, laying minus 240. Plus price here on the Mariners is plus 210. This is a spot where I just cannot be looking at the Seattle Mariners. They have one of the worst bullpens out there in the big leagues. And for Felix Hernandez, it doesn't matter if it was pre injured list for him, post-injured list for him. This guy has struggled, and he struggled badly. You take a look at his last three starts. He had one gem in there. He gave up one run over the course of seven innings against the Chicago White Sox. His other two starts were on the road against the Astros and the Baltimore Orioles. He combined 12 earned runs over the course of seven innings. Just absolutely putrid. And then you take a look at the other side for Sean Manea. This guy has been terrific. In four starts, he's got a 0.80 ERA. He has given up three home runs. That is the one bugaboo on him, but I believe that every run that he's given up has been a solo home run. He's getting right around 10 strikeouts per nine innings. This is a guy that was rehabbed in the correct way, and he is currently showing it for this team. It's paying dividends, and I did lie about his ERA. I said it was a .8. That is his whip. His ERA is a 1.14. So still very, very good over the course of four starts. You got to say that. And for the Oakland A's, this is a team that they typically are getting the moniker of being able to mash lefties, but they're doing a great job against bad righties now as well. And I would consider Felix Hernandez a very, very, a very, very bad righty. And for this team, you've got Matt Chapman, Matt Olson, and Marcus Simeon, all with between 32 and 35 home runs. In the case of Simeon, he's hitting a 287. Matt Chapman is hitting more in the realm of 245. And for Matt Olson, it's a 266. Mark Anna's got 26 singers. He's hitting just above a 275. Got a couple guys in Jerickson Profar and Chris Davis. They're hitting below a 230, but Chris Davis all of a sudden starting to hit some home runs. He's got 23 on the year. Chad Pinder hitting a 235. Jeff Feigley hitting more in the realm of 245 whenever you need Sean Murphy along with Sheldon Noyce. Both these guys have been able to step up with a good average. Seth Brown hitting above a 300 as well. Very nice ancillary pieces. And for the Seattle Mariners, you got a lot of guys that they're not necessarily doing the best job with their batting average, though. A lot of them have been relegated out. Guys that have failed like your Kyle Fraley's, Mac Williamson's, Keon Broxson, guys like that. They have all been rolled out and you currently have a couple guys that are doing a decent job. Kyle Lewis is getting a home run every nine or so at bats. He's hitting a 300. Shed Long along with Omar Narvaez and Tom Murphy are all in between a 276 and a 286 and between Narvaez and Murphy 40 home runs at the catcher spot. That's very good. D. Gordon hitting a 275 for this bunch. He's one of the top ACOs out there in the big leagues. Malik Smith is the top ACO out there in the big leagues. He's hitting more in the realm of a 230, but Tim Lopez is hitting a 265. You've got Daniel Vogelback only hitting right around a 215, but his on-base percentage is 130 points higher than his batting average, and he does have 30 home runs of his own. So you do have a couple guys who are able to put some runs on the board, and for these Seattle Mariners, one of the top over teams out there in the big leagues. So this is one of these spots with a bad Seattle Mariners bullpen and a Oakland A's bullpen that has been pretty average ever since the All-Star break, but it has certainly shown its warts as well. It is a spot where I'm going to be looking at this total over, and I'm going to be looking at the A's on the run line. Currently, that run line is minus 150. Certainly would like to be able to mitigate the juice there, but I'm going to be on both of these, and that will do it for the Thursday edition of MLB Overtime Betting. Big thanks to our man, Wes Reynolds of the Vegas Sites and Information Network for joining me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. Ever have a question for the podcast? Feel free to tweet it at GNRS41. Let's make today a successful, profitable, and fun one. I'll talk to you guys once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.